Welcome to the Conscious Writing Journeys mini interview series. I'm Marilyn Bosquin, founder of Writing Women's Lives Academy, where I teach women who are done with silence how to free your voice, claim your truth, and write your memoir stories or your life experiences with confidence, craft, and consciousness. And for those of you who are just tuning in, um, if you missed the first interview in the series, this interview series is a series of conversations with women who write memoir and personal narrative and who have cultivated a conscious writing practice as an integral part of their life. And today's guest, um, we'll be speaking with Sharla Gabert. Um, and before I introduce you to Sharla, I do want to just say a few words about the conscious writing uh, process for those of you who are new to it. Conscious writing is a method of writing that I've developed and refined over a number of years now at Writing Women's Lives Academy. And it's a method of writing to help women writers really recover their authentic voice and sense of self through what I call conscious writing and reading exercises. And these exercises are designed to help you, ultimately, to help you see beneath the surface of your story to the deeper story truth that wants to be told. So while on the one hand, conscious writing is very much about being present and embodied, um, in, grounded in the moment uh, to your writing and being present to your writing, and to your writing self. The consciousness work we do at Writing Women's Lives Academy goes beyond that because it also raises your awareness about your identity as a female so that you can reclaim or recover parts of yourself that went into hiding at some point in your life. So in this way, the conscious writing that we do, it's really a process of self-discovery or as I always like to say, self-recovery, because what we're doing is recovering our voices and ourselves from silence through writing. So there's a more in-depth description about conscious writing at excavateyourtruth.com. But if you're new to Writing Women's Lives Academy, this gives you just a kind of an overview of the consciousness work we do here. And at the end of our interview today, I'll let you know more about um, the conscious writing process, uh, how you can learn more about it, and an opportunity for you to start your own conscious writing journey if that's something you want to pursue. But now, without further ado, I want to introduce you to Sharla Gabert. Sharla grew up in Missouri and Memphis. She went to Brown University where she studied writing and communications before getting a master's degree in creative writing from Johns Hopkins. And then another master's degree, another thing I know about Charlotte is she loves school. <laughs> she got another master's degree in communications management from Simmons College in Boston, which is uh, some stomping grounds that she and I share. We both went to Simmons. Charlotte spent 25 years doing marketing and communications in the tech industry. She is a mosaic artist who has been making mosaics for 10 years. And I will say that I am the very proud, proud owner of one of her uh, mosaics, a mosaic that she made for me when I was recovering from breast cancer. 
and it's um, one of my most prized possessions. It's a, a mosaic that's in the shape of a birdhouse, and there are uh, there's a bird on top of uh, either side of the roof of the house, and she has uh, fastened to the bottom of the birdhouse. Uh, Hope is the Thing with Feathers, a poem by Emily Dickinson. And she also wrote that poem on a piece of paper and put it into the, the circle in the opening of the birdhouse. So it is a treasure for me. Um, so welcome, 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 Sharla. It is so good to have you here today. Hi, Marilyn. It's great uh -huh. to hear your voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good to hear your voice too. And um, I just thought we'd, one way I'd just like to start these interviews is by asking you if you would share with us your writing history and, you know, how your, what your particular, you know, writing history is and how that path led you to Writing Women's Lives Academy and to this conscious journey that you're on now. Well, sure. I'd be happy to share my writing history. Um, I guess I would sort of say that I've always been a writer, um, even when I wasn't writing, if you can accept that as a definition of a writer. But um, yeah, I mean, when I was a child, I was a great reader. I was always disappearing into books. And I thought there was really nothing better to be than to be a writer. Um, so I was always writing little poems and little stories. And, you know, when I was in college and um, when I was in high school, I was on the literary magazine and um, that kind of thing. And I, I was always taking a lot of math and science classes, but I also realized like in my very last year of high school, I had this opportunity to take um, a writing class in addition to all the literature classes and or I could take calculus and it was like this real decision point for me I was like you know I I want to take another writing class and it was kind of a big deal I had to get special permission to take two English classes it was sort of silly but um, then when I got to college um, I really started writing and took a lot of writing classes and ended up majoring in writing and when I got out of college, I thought I would probably go do magazine journalism. So I went to New York City and I worked in magazines. And I was at the time I was writing fiction. Um, so I finally decided I needed to go to grad school. And um, I went to Johns Hopkins and studied um, fiction writing. And then I decided I would try to make a living as a writer by teaching writing, which I did for a couple of years at Boston University. That turned out to be like not a really um, great career path. So I decided to take my writing skills into the corporate world, about which I knew very little. Um, but I ended up working at a tech company in Boston as a writer editor. That led to my 25-year career doing marketing and communications at a variety of tech companies. Along the way, I was still doing some writing, but I kind of, in a way, I gave up on my creative writing. Um, you know, I sort of stopped um, trying to get published, um, and... I had I didn't I felt like I didn't have enough time to write 
I got married, had a house, um, and had a job. And I, I just kind of slowly but surely stopped thinking of myself as a creative writer. Um, you know, I always had journals and that sort of thing. But um, I sort of ceased to be trying to be a published writer. Then um, I decided to retire myself. This was like in 2011, I guess. By then I was working independently at my own consulting company. And um, I, was, I was ready to quit. And when I did, um, I realized that it was a great opportunity to try to re you know, return to my writing. It was, on the other hand, a really terrifying prospect. I mean, I felt very much that I was a lapsed writer. Um, I was, you know, kind of mad at myself for having not stuck with it. Um, yeah, I had many friends who I'd been, who were writing friends who had gone on to publish. And um, so I sort of felt like I'd missed the boat and um, that it was too late to resume mm -hmm. writing. So for some reason, I decided to do mosaics <laughs> instead. And I, I took, a, I happened to have taken a class, you know, at like the local arts and recreation place and made my first mosaic. And my teacher loved it. And she was very encouraging. I thought, huh, I don't know, maybe I should try visual arts. And so I did this detour where I pursued mosaic art. Um, and I was so comfortable being a beginner. There was no angst. I had no sense that I should have been doing this all along. It was just pure joy um, and kind of getting in touch with myself again as a creative person um, and, you know, kind of re, re, um, rediscovering um, a certain kind of dedication and discipline to learning an art form and spending time on it. I created a studio out of a spare bedroom. You know, so making um, a kind of commitment to my mosaic art that I think laid, really laid the foundation for me to kind of return to my writing. Um, and I started, I had a couple of blogs, um, obviously too many, but um, I had a couple of different blogs that I was doing. And um, a friend of mine who is a great reader was constantly telling me um, that I should be doing more writing because I was a good writer. And so she was very encouraging to me. And then she happened to see, um, Marilyn's class. Marilyn had a free class. I think it was called um, Writing Your Grandmother's Life. Yeah. Uh, Writing Your Grandmother's. It was like a free class, a one-time class. And my friend Lena told me that I should take it. And I registered for it. But then I, for some reason, I didn't attend. Um, but by then I was signed up um, for with all of Marilyn's emails and found out more about her classes. I think another thing that also kind of was an activator that got me back to writing was I ran into someone who had um, gone to Brown several years after I did. And she is a writer, she's a published writer. And we were talking about writing programs. And I mentioned that I had been accepted to Stanford's creative writing program. And she just said, well, then what can we do to get you writing again? 
Huh. And that was just like, that was like a real wake up call for me. Um, it just kind mm -hmm. of penetrated through my very, like my fear, my reluctance, my anxiety about getting back to writing. Um, I just had a lot of fears about trying to write again and feeling like, well, maybe I had talent, but I probably don't have any talent left, or I should have done it then. I didn't, but so it's too late. Um, so I just started writing again, just for myself, and I just took up Blank's journal. I just said, I'm just going to write every day or as often as I can. I'm going to fill it up. Um, I'm not going to even read it. I'm just going to start writing. Um, and I had always been writing fiction and short stories, but once I started writing again, I realized I really did want to write about my personal life um, and not just have like thinly veiled autobiographical fiction. Um, so I took your excavate class. That was my first class. Um, and in that class, I figured out pretty quickly that I needed and wanted to write a memoir a book-length memoir, um, and that's what got me started again. And I am working on it right now. Wow. Well, you know, I, I did not know this part of your history, that it was a woman, um, you know, a former classmate who said to you, you know, what can we do to get you writing again? I just mm -hmm. find that so moving that, a, you know, one woman saying to another, you know, okay, it's time, you know, and how can we do that for you as opposed to you need to go get writing again. You know, I just find that really um, that she used the we. <laughs> how can we yes. get you writing again? I find that to be such a statement about um, how, uh, you know, women really, how we do um, use the relational and mm -hmm. to draw each other and encourage each other uh, back to, to our writing. Um, and I, I love how you, um, the mosaics, how you say the mosaics laid a foundation for your writing, that that um, may have been that first, and that that's given you so much, um, another side of yourself as an artist. But, you know, in the Excavate class, there's a, a class um, on details. I don't know if you remember this, but we, we talk mm -hmm. about writing as a visual art. Um, actually, Pr Pr Priscilla Long uh, is a, a writer who talks about writing as a visual art. Right. Um, and so it, it wasn't surprising to me to hear you say that the mosaics perhaps were the foundation, you know, that stepping stone back to, back to the writing. Um, so, well, you know, one thing that, um, one thing that I think is so key to the conscious writing that we do in um, in the classes at Writing Women's Lives Academy, um, that what I call the excavation process. It's really that process of writing beneath uh, the female condition of silence that we carry, you know, growing up female. And I just wonder if you can speak about the effect um, that the excavation process and writing beneath silencing um, within a community of women writers. What, what effect that had on, has had on your writing? And, you know, if you remember any particular moments during that class when something, you know, maybe surprised you when it hit the page that you hadn't been anticipating. Well, I think that 
that the the act of excavation is or it for me it was partially about telling secrets mm. and feeling comfortable enough to bring um things out that I really hadn't shared with anyone um to, realizing that my subject was worth writing about I mean I feel that one reason I'm sort of stopped writing was that I I, it's like I knew that I had talent, but I didn't really feel that I had anything to say or that it was worthy of saying. And I think that definitely came from being a woman. Um, and it wasn't even that my subjects that I, I want to write about are totally exclusively female, but just that being a woman, um, I think took a lot of confidence away from me that I had anything to say or that anyone would really want to listen to what I had to say. Um, so I think for me, part of the excavation process was um, feeling like these things that were inside were actually okay to come outside. Um, one thing I remember from the class was um, that we had a series of different prompts and um, each prompt, no matter what it was, always led back to the same subject, you know, which was my childhood and my parents' divorce. I think I always thought that those topics were not really worthy of writing about. Um, that childhood also in specifically was not really a worthy subject to write about for some reason. And uh, the thing is, all these prompts kept leading me back to the same subject. Um, and so I, you know, it's like, I was very clear that like, I had this, I had a strong desire to write, but I really wasn't sure what I wanted to write about. I mean, I think the excavation process made it sort of crystal clear that I knew that I wanted to write about my childhood and growing up in a divorced family. And um, maybe this is because we were writing as a group, but um, just that sense that we were all very, very safe to share our secrets, um, even if there wasn't anything terrible about the secret uh, that that sense that we were all in this together and um you know that we all had something to say was really really powerful um i think most of us had that sense that there was really something special going on um, we would write and then we would share our writing over the phone and we would hear each other's voices and you know it's really a very kind of magical special experience um, to be doing it in community I mean everybody who's a writer knows that it's a it can be a very um, kind of lonely activity but we were definitely together as a group and um, we sort of had each other as fellow writers, but we also had each other as readers. 
and sort of knowing that you have an audience and knowing that there's somebody there, I think made a big difference. Um, I would say that the the excavation process definitely made me feel that my experiences were worth writing about. Um, I think that I have kind of gotten the sense that I own my own experience in a way I didn't before, that I can really claim it and say, yes, this is mine. This happened to me. Um, certainly my parents' divorce was a just really a pivotal event in my life. It changed my life completely. It affected every aspect of my life. Um, and so I finally came to the conclusion that I needed to write about it and that it was actually okay to write about it. Wow. Um, definitely, I think that I had, I had some deep hesitations about it um, at the beginning. I was really afraid to write about things that happened to me. Um, you know, partially I didn't want to hurt my parents um, by telling the truth um, and that sort of thing. But I, over time, the more I've sort of worked with my material, um, it's really interesting. I've come to feel like, on one hand, uh, it's really a part of me in a way that I used to sort of resist it or pretend it never happened. <laughs> now I really have claimed it and said, nope, this is mine. But at the same time, I've got a lot more distance on it. You know, I've gotten more understanding about it. Um, and I think that it sort of allowed me to accept myself more as a person, but then also just as a writer. Um, I think figuring out whether I like it or not, this is my subject. Um, my subject sort of chose me. And so that's what I have to write about. And maybe when I'm done writing about it, I'll move on to another subject. But um, I really felt that I needed to write about it. Um, so let's see. I think you had another. Did you have any other questions well, about know, moments of discovery? Yeah. Um, but you know what? I want to. Let's let's put that a check on that for just a second because something that you said it, I'm so struck by something you said because I think it's a very um, an experience that a lot of people have uh, and a lot of women um, in particular and that is that you know we don't um, I, I mean one thing I hear from women writers again and again and again is that this you know that they don't have a story that or you know no one wants to I don't have a story to tell it's not a you know mm -hmm. it's not a real story or no one's going to read want to read this story and there's this um this way in which um you know women's stories and women's subjects we just we don't even see them as such um and I think it's in the grandmother's class actually that I tell this anecdote about uh, being at, at AWP, uh, a writing conference, and seeing Meredith Hall, a, a writer who I adore, on a panel, um, a panel discussion, and she, they were talking about adoption as a subject in literature, um, and the panel was women, uh, including uh, biological moms who'd given children up for adoption, uh, adoptive moms, uh, an adoptee, um, international adoptee. So there was a range of voices on the panel. 
And Meredith Hall, um, who wrote about having uh, given birth as a teenager and having her baby given up for adoption, you know, she didn't really have a choice in the matter. It was the 1960s. And she wrote a beautiful book called Without a Map. And one thing she said on that panel that, that actually changed my whole, I, I, I can still remember that moment. It was as if the entire world tilted underneath me when she said this. She said, um, someone asked the question, you know, why is it so difficult for women to get stories about adoption published? Because woman after woman on the panel was talking about the difficulty they had getting their story published. And Meredith Hall, whose book was a bestseller, by the way, a New York Times bestseller, said, um, well, women's stories are, um, women's subjects, stories are considered are still considered small stories. Mm. And when I heard that, I just, it was like that moment of, oh, I mean, it just switched everything for me and it kind of became the foundation. I had a new understanding of how to teach my classes at Writing Women's Lives, which I was just starting at the time. Um, And so because of that, I, I believe there's really a way in which we if the culture considers our stories small, we, without even realizing it, consider our stories small and don't even then realize that we have stories, right? Um, but the, the, what you said about how each prompt that we wrote led back to your parents' divorce, mm-hmm. something that, of course, you'd always known about, right? But to me, one of the things that is so fascinating about Excavate Your Truth, Free Your Voice, is that I like to say um, that whatever your subject is, whether you know it yet or not, and many of us don't know what that, that story that wants to be told, right? We don't know yet what that story that wants to be told is, but it will climb on the back of whatever prompt you give it, <laughs> you know? And it's like, exactly. That, you know what I'm talking about, right? The deep, wise writing self is like this spirit within that's kind of playful that is going to find a way without you even realizing it to get you right back to that subject, even if the prompt is wildly different than the one that you just wrote about. Well, and then you really notice it when you're in a, in a group where Mm -hmm. we all start with the same sentence. um, That's the prompt, but then, or the same assignment, whatever, we all come up with wildly different subjects which are just so eager to get out. And it's like the prompt really unlocks that subject. Um, And it's really powerful. I mean, it's very simple. Um, But I think it's, you also, as the writer, you have to um, accept what your excavation process delivers to you. You, you know, it's really easy to go, oh, uh, no, I'm not, I don't want to write about that, um, to really discount it because, it because you do think it's a small story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I often think about the hero's journey as being always this, you know, it's this template for novels, it's template for movies, and... I think it's very much a male um, storyline. Obviously, women can be heroes and have heroes' journeys, but it still seems to me that it's held out as like 
this is the what this is what a novel should look like or a movie should look like and it's a male storyline um and so i think that because we're women in a in a patriarchy and a male dominated culture um we don't even always have uh, ways to fit our stories in to templates they're just not there in the same way um and if you know i think even you know women writers will i think often adopt those because they're kind of tried and true literary techniques but they are like sort of limited because they're really based on male experience much more than than female experience and and that's one of the things that i appreciate so much about the excavation process is that it's so organic that um <sighs> you're going to be looking at your subject on the page. And I love what you just said, Sharla, everyone listening, what Sharla just said about, you know, one of the challenges can really be accepting what your subject is. And um, the, uh, uh, one of the classes in Excavate Your Truth that was not there, Sharla, when you took this class, because you, mm -hmm. you took Excavate, we were just talking before, um, in, in the fall of 2014, right? Um, Correct. Yes, and so now there is a, um, one of the modules is what I call a conscious reading module, where um, I, in your class, I would give an assignment and say, okay, at this point in time, I want you to reread everything that you've written and to start looking for the themes in your work. So do you remember that? So that you can start I to do, see, I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that you could start to see that your subject is appearing again and again and again and it speaks to you in different ways and, and imagery comes up again and again well what we do now is i have an actual module dedicated that where i walk people through what i call the conscious reading process and you get to actually go through all of your work and there's time devoted to that so that you can take the time because i'm finding more and more how important that is to do what you just said to kind of uh you know, for many of us, it's a kind of making peace with our subject, even if our subject, you know, no matter what it is, there's this tendency to discount it, as you said. Mm -hmm. um, and so to really, you know, own it, as you said, you know, how you said, you know, you used to resist it, and now you claim it. And one thing I'd be really curious to hear um, from you, Charlotte, is how accepting your subject, what effect or what was your experience with that in terms of your your voice, you know, your writing voice um, coming into your subject and then instead of resisting it, allowing it? And what effect has that had on your, your voice and your productivity and your vision as the writer for yourself? Well, I think that um, I always felt that personally I had been very damaged by my parents' divorce and I think once I accepted the experience and started to write about it, um, and, and, and I got a lot more um, perspective on it, I also felt um, much less like divided internally. Mm -hmm. um, I just felt like I accepted myself a lot more. Um, mm -hmm and became much more aware of myself, um, you know, that I, rather than feeling like I was damaged, I felt also like, well, I have a lot of power um, as a result of having lived through that. And I think, and deciding to write about it, 
um, gave me a lot more um, sense of not being a split person, but being much mm. more whole um, mm. and sort of kind of moving beyond feeling like a survivor to just feeling like more a thriver, <laughs> somebody oh, who's thriving that. as opposed to merely surviving. Um, mm. I think it also gave me a sense that what I have to say is more universal than I would have imagined. Um, not just because, let's say, the subject of, of divorce um, is very common, and many people have experienced it as children, as adults, but that a lot of the um, elements of growing up in a divorced family, whether it was dislocation or loneliness or loss, um, that those were really universal experiences mm. and that I could write about them in a way that was um, you know, on one hand, very particular to me and my experience, um, but that also would be able to be sort of an, a universal experience. That mm. other everybody, not everybody's had to live through a divorce, but everyone's been lonely. Everyone's had losses. Um, everyone's had strained relationships with family members or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it, it, the more I worked with the material and started to claim it, um, you know, the, the, the more that I really discovered that it was universal. <laughs> and I think that kind of gave me more confidence in terms of my voice, that I was writing for everyone. I mean, when I first started writing my memoir, I was really writing for, on, like, on behalf of anyone who'd grown up in a divorced family whose story had not really been told. Um, mm -hmm. And <laughs> I often feel that, um, especially adults who get divorced, they're always very um, kind of dismissive of what the children go through, in my opinion. And they like to say things like, well, children are resilient and this sort of thing. And I felt like a lot of the experience of growing up in a divorced family that it wasn't acknowledged when I was young, and I'm not even sure that it is today, even though it's much, much more common um, than when I was when I was young and my parents divorced. Um, but I definitely kind of have moved on from that sense of like, well, I'm going to tell this story on behalf of all these other kids who are mm -hmm. probably now adults to this is a bigger story. Um, that there's other there and there are other stories. I mean, there's stories about. Um, I feel like it's sort of an American story, of like my mother being a single mom, trying to make a better life for her daughters, um, moving a lot. You know, a certain kind of um, trying to climb the economic ladder. Um, there's definitely a lot of feminist ideas in my book about what it's like to grow up in the 60s and the 70s um, as a young girl and then a woman. There's a lot of different storylines I realize that are in there that that I didn't know that were there until I started to write about it. You know, I mm -hmm. thought it was just about divorce. Mm -hmm. um, even moving from Missouri to Memphis and encountering uh, racism and uh, 
stuff that I had not really encountered before. So I, I realized there's like a lot of storylines um, that that make it a richer story than I realized when I started. Hmm. Oh, and you know, one thing that, that you said that is so um, fascinating to me is that, you know, once you accepted and claimed your subject and, and really started writing about it, you felt um, less divided mm-hmm. was one of the words you used and that right. writing made you feel whole and less split. And it's so fascinating given your subject, right? Because a divorce is, of course, a, split, <laughs> a divide. Yes. You know? and, yes. So then, and so the, the, the opposite of that, of course, would be, you know, becoming whole again or united again. And so something mm-hmm. within you. And so, again, um, you know, it seems like a, a, every person I talk to, there is this um, additional aspect of the writing that's so healing so very healing mm-hmm. even you know we're creating art and art of course comes from getting to the universality of your subject which you've done um, and are continuing to do in your writing but I just find that fascinating that your subject is so, you, you know your subject so well that even the flip side of it um, now that you're really writing it and owning it and working it into a memoir um, it, it's leaving you feeling less less split and divided and more whole. I mean, you know what a gift from your writing. Um, yes, and it's and it's. I think it's partial. It's sort of a two sided thing. I mean, on one hand, I think it's a very healing activity, um, just because um, you know I'm getting some things off my chest, if you will. Um, sharing some things, talking about things that have happened that I hadn't really shared with anyone. But then I think it's also, it's that transmuting it into something that's creative and artistic um, that also makes it feel um, very healing. It's like Mm -hmm. I took this pain and traumatic experience and I made something beautiful out of it. Uh-huh. Right? It's like taking a bunch of pieces of mosaics, uh, you know, a bunch of little tiles and making something out of it that didn't exist before. So I think that itself is very healing um, to somebody who's a writer or an artist. Right. That's and, sort of like that's like the, con- the uh, consolation of art. Right, right. Well, and, and um, you know, the, the mosaic that you made for me has that exact element. Uh, when people see it, there's a, you can see um, uh, a shift in them uh, to pick up this mosaic, which is three-dimensional, but um, I'll, I'll have to put a picture of it on the website with, with your um, interview <laughs> so people can see the beauty of it, but it, it's three-dimensional and different shapes, tiles. So there's a texture to it and it's greens and blues and browns. Um, but it's art. It's definitely art. And when people pick it up and look at it, there's a, uh, a sense of peace, perhaps, that comes over them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think that your analogy of the mosaics with the writing is such a good one because it's, it's putting pieces of our life together and creating something new out of that. And that new thing is the story that speaks to others and gives them that them a sense of, of peace um, and some semblance of uh, a shifting of awareness for them um, through story. Um, well, you know I, what's so funny about the birdhouse, Marilyn? I was just thinking of this. It was so inspired 
by the Emily Dickinson line. So it was like this piece of writing, this poem, made itself into a piece of 3D mosaic art. I just find that very funny. Well, and and how, uh, you know, we are, uh, as artists, we're always creating from, you know, pulling from everything around us. Um, so yes, very much that you're then climbing on the back, just like your subject climbs on the, the back of any prompt, you're climbing on the back of Emily Dickinson, right? Um, <laughs> in this exactly. As well as, um, sure, in your writing as well. But, um, well, let's see. We, um, wow. Well, we, we should probably um, start to think about coming to a close. Okay. What, um, I would love to hear anything you want to share with us as far as your writing and what you're up to with your writing. If you want to share something with us, we would love to hear you read. Oh, okay, sure. Um, I, will, I thought I would read um, a short piece. I'm, of course, working on a long piece, a book, um, but this is a short piece, so it will be very refreshing for me to read something that's actually um, – got a start and and is done Uh this is a and this is kind of a piece that's based on um, part of my memoir which is uh, losing my grandfather when I was um, let's see seven I guess seven or eight and and this happened shortly before my parents divorced and so I've always felt that there was kind of a connection between my mother losing her father and then I within the year, kind of lost my father through the divorce. But um, it doesn't have a title yet. And, okay, so I'll just read it. My cousin Kim and I crawled in under the tunnel of forsythia branches and dug in the damp soil with a teaspoon stolen from Aunt Jane's kitchen. We took turns excavating, silently handing the spoon back and forth as we breathed in the right moldy smell of earth. It was our secret children's game that we shared with no one. As the wind shook, the half-bare forsythia branches arched above us. Bands of dark shadow and bright sunlight rippled across our hands. Dust particles floated in the air like tiny dead fish underwater. Brittle forsythia leaves twirled down through the dusty air, pelting our heads and hands at irregular intervals. It was autumn in Missouri, that savage season of fresh starts and new beginnings tainted by compressed days, colder nights, and the knowledge of coming winter. We could have been there for five minutes, or it could have been an hour. Aunt Jane called us from the front door. Kim, Sharla, kids. The sound of her voice roused us like an alarm clock. Her voice was clenched and tight, as if someone was strangling her. On another day, we would have ignored her, stayed hidden and protected by the forsythia bush. But that day, something was different. Her voice was different. We crept out from our lair and stood up, blinking in the sunlight. It was we brushed off dirt and matted leaves. Crunchy leaf shards clung to my soft white cable-stitched knee socks and bare knees. I flicked a lump of mud off my plaid wool skirt, afraid that Aunt Jane would scold us for getting our school clothes dirty. My cousin trotted toward the house, instinctively holding hands. Our cold hands were filthy, our fingernails clotted with a harvest of dirt. Charcoal gray smoke from a neighbor's pile of smoldering leaves smeared the robin egg blue sky that vaulted above us like an overturned bowl. 
At the front steps, we stopped and gazed up at my aunt on the step above us, waiting, our heads tipped back and our mouths open. I hid the stolen spoon behind my back, hoping Aunt Jane wouldn't notice, but she paid no attention. My aunt had been crying, her eyes red and swollen. I had never seen my Aunt Jane cry before. Her face looked wild and broken, like a white china plate cracked into ragged shapes. It was as if her face had been held together by invisible tape, but now had fallen apart. Was this her real face? Had she been holding her face together all these years? Had she been hiding her real face from us? She put a hand on each of our shoulders. I smelled Lily of the Valley on her cool white hand that weighed heavy on my shoulder. The charred smell of burning leaves floated on the chill there. I tucked my red wool cardigan tight and the collar scratched my neck. I just got a phone call from your grandmother, Aunt Jane said. Your papa has had a heart attack. My chest cracked open. My heart pounded against my sternum as if to break it. Heat drained from my face and cold air blew into my nose, even as I felt the sun burning my back. He just laid down for a nap after dinner and never woke up. He's gone to heaven to be with Jesus. I stared at my Aunt Jane's face, raw and uncensored. The truth was in her face. She made no effort to hide her grief. I felt that someone had pulled the curtain back on reality and I was seeing things as they truly are underneath. The truth that comes out only at times of crisis then slinks back into hiding when the emergency ends. My cousin Kim gasped and made a croaking noise in his throat. He sounded like he'd been punched or was trying to imitate a frog, something only seconds before he might have done to amuse me. The sound was so unexpected, I started to laugh. The laugh that escaped my throat took me completely by surprise. I had no idea it was coming. Horrified, I cupped my hand over my mouth and started to cry. Hot tears filled my eyes, blinding me, and streamed down my cheeks. I pictured my grandfather's face, so familiar and beloved, his high forehead, eagle nose, and wiry black hair, his china blue eyes, and farmer's face and arms, bronzed by sun and wind, his silly tricks, raising one eyebrow at a time, and wiggling his ears without moving the rest of his face to make his cousins laugh at dinner. I peeked at my cousin's face through my tears. Now it was broken too, twisted and red, so that it looked like someone I didn't recognize, a stranger. Cold air blew the bitter smoke of burning leaves into my nose and lungs as I sobbed helplessly. The sound of children laughing and shrieking in the yard next door reached my ears as if from a great distance. I was still clutching the dirty teaspoon in my left hand, and I let it drop into the hard, unyielding surface of the cracked sidewalk, where it clinked once and then lay still. Mm. Thank you so much, Charlotte. And I am so grateful to your friend who some years ago said, how can we get you writing again? <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's so fun to read it out loud and hear it out loud. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it reads, it reads beautifully and it's what a, what a moment, um, what a powerful moment of uh, just a, a child's, shifting of awareness about life um and the, the 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 flip side of life which is of course death um and the loss that comes with that and, and experiencing that you've just written captured that universal moment beautifully mm. in your personal experience um 
Well, before we go, I want to let people who are listening know that um, if you want to get started on your own conscious writing journey, um, my course, which is called Excavate Your Truth, Free Your Voice, a conscious writing program for women who are done with silence. That course is currently open for registration and you uh, can find the registration page at excavateyourtruth.com. And if you have any questions, any questions at all, just email me at marilyn at writingwomenslives.com. Or you can always find me, and Charlotte is sometimes there too, on uh, the Writing Women's Lives Academy has a group Facebook page called Writing Out Loud Sisterhood. So if you are on Facebook and you would like to join our group, we would love to have you. Just visit Writing Out Loud Sisterhood and click the join button. Then um, I will approve you and we can see you there as well. Um, uh, so thank you so much, uh, Sharla, for being so generous with your uh, writing experience and your writing history. I think that the more of us who talk about our uh, relationship to our writing and the course our writing has taken um, over time. Uh, there are many similarities for all of us and the coming, you know, the coming back and forth from writing as well. So thank you so much for. Well, thank you for that. inviting me, Marilyn. It was really a pleasure to talk to you about it. Yes. And uh, wishing you um, just so much writing, love and joy. All right. Thanks. I will see you soon. Okay, Charlotte. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.